Hello, my name is Michael McLennan, and welcome to COVID Matters. Produced by COVID Aid, the UK's new national COVID 19 charity, this is a regular podcast in which experts speak to us about the key issues facing those affected by the pandemic. We're delighted to welcome Dr. Natalie McDermott to the show. She's a clinical doctor and academic researcher at King's College London, sub-specialising in paediatric infectious diseases in the NHS. She also has significant experience in medical response to disaster and epidemic situations in Africa and Asia. Natalie has been living with long COVID since 2020 and has spoken publicly and powerfully about the long-term effects. We're delighted that Natalie has agreed to be part of our expert advisory panel, and it was great to chat to her for this interview. I'll be back afterwards to tell you a bit more about the charity. First off, it'd be great to know a bit more about what you were doing before the pandemic hit and how things changed at that time. I was researching uh, epidemics and pandemics, ironically. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was com- I had just completed my PhD uh, looking at genetic, genetic susceptibility to outcome from Ebola virus disease. I had spent 10 months in Sierra Leone recruiting participants to that study, uh, come back and then return to clinical training. So, and then I had just been appointed to my clinical lecturer post at King's College London, which I started in, uh, well, on the 1st of January, 2020. Um, so, and then fairly quickly, well, I suppose I found out about uh, COVID as it is now called, but wasn't at the time on about the 31st of December, 2019, through a uh, an infectious diseases alert uh, system that I am signed up to. And it mentioned a cluster of pneumonia cases of undiagnosed origin in, in China, in Wuhan. And I thought, oh, that might be a problem. <laughs> but you know, you there's you get a lot of these alerts and you know, some of them turn into something, some of them don't. So uh, but I just remember thinking, mm, um, it doesn't sound too good because it was quite a lot of cases at that point. And from that point onwards, really, once sort of everyone had settled down from Christmas, we just sort of spiraled into a whole, what is this unknown? pathogen or virus as it was then identified as within the first couple of weeks of of 2020. Um, And then I was doing a lot of media work just trying to help people to understand what the virus was, make sure that accurate science was being conveyed and also give people their important sort of public health messages in terms of how to keep themselves safe and and what to do and what to be concerned about. Uh, I returned to doing clinical work. So I do 50% of my time is research and 50% is clinical. And it usually happens in six month chunks. And I uh, returned to my clinical job, uh, which was at Great Ormond Street then for six months, working in paediatric infectious diseases and immunology and bone marrow transplant. So I was working there and it was while I was working there that uh, I contracted COVID-19. I think at least the first time likely from a colleague in an office. So I became unwell at the end of March 2020. But I recovered after 10 days and I went straight back to work. And then I was working on the ward, looking after children with multi-system inflammatory syndrome as it as it uh, developed. Well, I guess we didn't know what it was at first. And then it uh, is now referred to as the multi-system inflammatory child- syndrome in children. Or in the UK, we also refer to it as PIMS-TS. And that's the name that's given to it. So, uh, and seems to be related to COVID-19, but usually after the actual infection. So, you know, it presents about two weeks after 
the first, uh, well, two to four weeks after the first symptoms of COVID-19. So I was looking after those children and then I became unwell again at the end of May. Uh, and then I developed some neurological problems uh, following that illness. And that is where I am today while well, I'm doing my research work still. But yeah. You're amongst those people who are first and experiencing long COVID. How did you find that experience in terms of the education aspect of that? Yeah, I suppose I think it was a bit odd at the time because I think we were still at least clinically under the impression that, you know, for younger people, COVID was a relatively mild illness and you would just you might feel unwell for a bit, but then you would come through it and that would be fine. So I think when when I first developed sort of pain in my feet, they it, that happened whilst I had all the symptoms of COVID as well. So I just thought it was part of that. But after a couple of weeks, all of the other symptoms settled and I still had this quite intense pain in my feet. And I thought that's odd. It feels really weird. And then I, I thought, well, this feels like neuropathic pain. Uh, so it kind of started from there. And it was only after I was uh, driving to a pharmacy to get some uh, medication my GP had prescribed for the neuropathic pain, that I realized I couldn't really feel the soles of my feet properly. Um, so I was finding it difficult to judge, like uh, using the pedals, a bit like when you uh, it suddenly becomes winter and you put on that really heavy pair of winter boots uh, mm-hmm. when you've been wearing a pair of, I, I don't know, trainers for the last six months. And suddenly you like there's some difference in how how well you can feel the pedals so I thought well that's a bit odd and then that progressed and then I realized that I couldn't walk quite as far as I would normally so I guess I with those symptoms I just kept thinking oh it will get a bit better um you know they were relatively mild at the beginning uh so I was just continually expecting to get better but when I realized I was struggling with walking and my legs were weak that's when I contacted a neurologist at Queen Square to ask largely to ask if this was normal and if they were seeing this with COVID or not and what 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 it was. And it was probably only in August time that uh, someone pointed me in the direction of their doctors with long COVID group um, and said, oh, look, I found this on Facebook. Maybe this will help. Maybe this is relevant to you. And it was only then that I really realised that there were lots of other people who had ongoing problems following COVID. Uh, and I guess I just assumed that I had sort of a bit of a random weird side effect or a sort of yeah coexisting condition or something like that that was affecting me and then I suddenly realized actually no there's there's a whole there's a whole group of us um and I guess it just uh, expanded from there and I guess on August September we were all still learning but also trying to raise awareness of the of the problems to do with long COVID and you know that this was uh, for a proportion of people not a short-lived and mild illness Um, And yeah, so I guess in the autumn, people started to pay attention a little bit more. You know, the the pandemic was calmer. The summer had been okay, Um, And, you know, we were after the summer now and people were listening a bit more because they weren't as panicked as they had been in the springtime. Um, So I think it's at that point that we started to be able to get the message across that something wasn't quite right. But we still didn't really know what was going on. And I think, you know, there are suggestions of what's going on, but we still don't know exactly uh, what the underlying sort of pathology is for for long COVID. And, And there's probably several different pathologies for different sort of clusters of symptoms and groups of people. But um, yeah, I guess that research is still being done. And in terms of with the Facebook group and other groups that have sprung up, how much of a source of support was that when you were going through this experience? Oh, um, a massive source of support and remains a massive source of support, actually, Um, especially for those of us who haven't uh, gotten better. Many people have, you know, started to gradually improve, but there's a group of us that 
haven't seen any improvement and uh you know it just seems seems never ending at times or uh random symptoms crop up or something starts to get a bit worse again and then gets a bit better so i think it's just um yeah uh it's nice to have people who understand um rather than people who you know might suggest that this is all in the mind and you know we just need to get over it and get get going um and uh you know and i think that there's a lot been a lot of that thrown around uh which is is not true and there is certainly a lot of underlying organ dysfunction and damage in many people with long covid maybe not absolutely everyone but uh, a, a significant majority i would say uh but if you don't investigate you don't find and a lot of people are struggling to access clinics that will properly investigate them because uh they don't have those clinics don't necessarily have access to the uh, e- clinical expertise or the um, facilities to do that imaging. £10 million, much as it was gratefully received uh, by the NHS, doesn't go very far when you split it amongst every NHS trust in the UK. And uh, I think that the government will learn gradually that there needs to be a significant more greater amount of funding uh, to actually um, get to the bottom of what long COVID is and then also to, to manage it appropriately. Thinking about this kind of moment in time where there's been still a kind of media obsession about opening up, um, how would you like things to be dealt with and how would you like long COVID to be recognised in a way that isn't currently really happening? I don't think I would say really that long COVID should prevent us from opening up, but I think we need to more rapidly roll out the vaccine to younger younger age groups so that everyone is is covered and then the chance of long COVID obviously is much less if there's much lower risk of people being infected. So I don't think it should stop us opening up, but I do think that um, with opening up, the government and employers need to realise that there's going to be a significant proportion of people who maybe they've been able to manage doing a few hours working from home in their jobs, but actually going into the office to do their job is going to be very challenging. So for instance, I I will find it very difficult to get into work. Fortunately, I have contacted Access to Work who've been very helpful and they will facilitate that. Uh, but not everyone knows that and people will need support from their employers to to guide them into what kind of accommodations they need at work. But I also think it's really important for the government to recognise long COVID or post-COVID-19 condition, as the WHO is now calling it, uh, as an occupational disease in frontline workers uh, where it was acquired in the workplace. Because for those who aren't able to return to work, that will then mean that they can get the support that they need until such time as they are able to return to work, which hopefully will eventually happen. But some people may be uh, debilitated in the long term by this and uh, and we should be um, supporting and recognising our frontline workers who who uh, put themselves at risk to do the jobs that we needed them to do. And if they got infected in the line of duty, then they should be recognised for that and supported in their uh, in their ongoing ill health. And then uh, in terms of people listening to the podcast who might not have been so aware of long COVID, uh, what do you think would be the key piece or, or advice or information that they should bear in mind? We're still trying to define long COVID. It's uh, a work in progress. The WHO will have another meeting next week for uh, us to work on defining it. Um, but essentially it 
is defined by the NICE guidance right now as, as being post-COVID-19 syndrome if you have symptoms that have lasted beyond 12 weeks after your initial infection with acute COVID. And there is sort of an interim between four to 12 weeks where it's called post-acute COVID-19. Um, so I guess the debate is at what point are we calling it long COVID, because there are a good proportion of people who who will improve within that 12-week period. Um, if you look at the numbers from the Office of National Statistics, it looks like the numbers kind of halve at about the 12-week period for having ongoing symptoms. So, yeah, I think it, it's difficult to know, but a lot of people will have uh, ongoing fatigue or tiredness. Some people complain of brain fog, so they find it hard to remember things, hard to put sentences together. <clears throat> they forget words and, and so on. A lot of people will complain about having a very fast heart rate uh, and finding it difficult to stand upright because their heart beats so quickly at times. And then there's a whole host of, of other symptoms, really. You know, people who develop new onset allergies, lots of neurological symptoms in terms of pain in the feet or sort of neuropathy, as we might call it, or loss of sensation or strange uh, sort of sense, abnormal sensations. I guess a lot of people will complain about changes in their sense of taste and smell. Whether that isolated on its own is, uh, is long COVID or I, I, I think that's something we need to debate because I think a lot of people will have that. Uh, I think, uh, it needs to be in the context of having other symptoms as well, really, to, for it to be defined as long COVID. So I suppose that's the biggest, sort of the most common symptoms, but there's probably over 200 different symptoms that people have, have complained of and experienced. So yeah, it's it's difficult. And my, my symptoms are, are relatively unique, actually, even amongst the group of people with long COVID. So yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's difficult to just put it into one nice sentence at the moment. Of course, yeah. So in terms of the, the work that you'll be doing, um, how does that link in with COVID at the moment? I guess at the moment I am looking to understand a bit better um, what long COVID looks like in, in our paediatric and child population. So in children and young people. So I'm trying to set up a study looking at that um, uh, to understand if there's uh, underlying organ damage and dysfunction like we're seeing in a lot of adults or if it's a different kind of phenomenon going on and, and also working with some colleagues who are doing immune studies to see um, you know, if the immune pathology is the same in adults and children and, and, and so on. So um, at the moment, just trying to get funding for that and trying to sort of get everything up and running, which always takes a long time. Um, so that's probably one of my big focuses at the moment, but also trying to get some of the work done from pre-COVID uh, where I, you know, have a lot of papers to write up from my PhD and um, also working with uh, my supervisor on a big project uh, sort of um, following babies and children in Africa to see what their development is like and um, following uh, problems in pregnancy in their mums. So um, just uh, trying to trying to do some something that was normal prior to COVID and not all be obsessed with COVID. <laughs> Thanks so much to Natalie for her time. If you haven't heard of us, COVID Aid is the new UK charity dedicated to helping all those adversely affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. We want to help anyone who is struggling but may not have found the correct resources or support system to help. By building an empowering and caring community, 
we provide a safe space where people's voices can be heard and where you can gain access to support that is specific to your needs. We'd love to have you as part of our community, so please visit covidaidcharity.org. That is covidaidcharity.org. We'll be back soon with our next episode, and until then, please take care.